Hello and welcome to the Lana Landscape Radio Network. I'm your host, Jimmy Miller, an associate editor with Lana Landscape Magazine. Before we dive into today's podcast, I wanted to first introduce a word from our sponsor. The only app every landscaper needs. CompanyCam makes it dead simple to communicate, document, and problem solve with guys in the field no matter where you are. CompanyCam brings documentation, communication, and liability protection together in one simple, easy-to-use app for you and your entire team. Take unlimited photos and videos, share custom reports, create flawless before and afters, and even communicate and share progress with homeowners with galleries and project timelines. All from your smartphone. CompanyCam, the only app every landscaper needs. Check it out at companycam.com slash lawn and landscape or in your app store. And we're back. Okay, so I don't think I'm saying anything particularly newsworthy when I say that the last few years have been hard on everyone. In this industry alone, you've dealt with supply chain issues, a labor shortage, and oh yeah, a global pandemic. It's been stressful. If you've felt a little overwhelmed lately, trust me, you're not alone. According to a 2021 report by the American Psychological Association, 84% of adults reported feeling at least one emotion related to prolonged stress in the last two weeks. If you're sitting there going, what's the other 16% doing that I'm not? I'm right there with you. So I wanted to do a podcast that highlighted ways we can mitigate feeling overwhelmed. The reality is stress isn't going to go away. It was there before COVID and it'll be there long, long after COVID, even if things seem more stressful now than ever before. For this story, I reached out to Tammy Allen, a professor at the University of South Florida and former president of the Society for Occupational Health Psychology. No, she doesn't work in landscaping, but she's got some tips to help you manage your stress in ways that could really be beneficial. What's more, she also details some ways that you can spot an overworked employee at your company. Managing workplace stress is an issue in every industry. What are some of the easiest ways somebody can start managing their work-life balance today? Right, great question. Um, I think it's important to first think about what it is that leads to stress. So commonly, stress occurs when there's a buildup of demands that exceed our resources. For example, job demands include long work hours and our personal conflicts with coworkers, not having the tools needed to get the job done. Um, it could be within your industry, for example, uh, exposures such as working outside in the heat. Um, and so it's important to try and identify which of these demands might be really taxing your system. It's not just about taking some work off your plate. In fact, adding in helpful resources can help diminish the impact of an overwhelming day. But also think about resources, and resources can include job control or autonomy and opportunities for development and social support from others. So to reduce stress, one can try and reduce job demands as well as increase resources. Hmm, okay. um, and then, you know, another way to think about this is that each day we need opportunities for recovery. And that means taking some time to detach from work. So even something as simple as taking breaks during the day is important because we need to be able to both mentally and physically disengage from work 
to replenish the resources that are expended to meet demand. You know, when you look at taking these breaks, is there anything you recommend in terms of time length, uh, part of the day, or does it really just kind of depend on the, the industry and the job specifically? I think it, you know, often the answer in psychology is it depends. So, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we do know that, that breaks make a difference. Breaks are helpful. And you raise a good question in the sense that not all breaks are the same. So, for example, during a lunch break, one may engage in different activities. The lunch break is commonly to replenish ourselves in, in terms of nutrition, but we can also use that time to, for example, go out for a walk. Um, and there is some research that suggests more active uh, activities during breaks are more replenishing had more passive activities during breaks. When you were the president of the Society for Occupational Health Psychology, what were some of the ways you and the organization affected the national conversation around managing stress properly? I mean, I know right now um, mental health is such a major part of the conversation, but what ways did you know you and your program advance that conversation? ways that we advance the conversation is through uh, a conference that is held every other year. The Society for Occupational Health Psychology, along with the American Psychological Association and NIOSH, uh, have a conference that's called the Work Stress and Health Conference. And that conference brings together leading researchers and practitioners to address the health, safety, and well-being of workers. And there, the latest information is shared, um, again, with the, the, the goal to advance research, but also advance practice. There are also um, NIOSH-funded education and research centers. For example, we have one here at the University of South Florida that's called the, Edu- uh, the Sunshine Education and Research Center. And what we do at the center is bring together experts from psychology, safety, occupational medicine and nursing, industrial hygiene, um, because we recognize that the problems are complicated and it really takes a multidisciplinary approach to solve. Uh, So we communicate through webinars and um, an assortment of outreach activities throughout the year to try and and bring, again, the best research and practice out to the working community. It's important to note that not all stressors are built the same. How does the old adage go? You're comparing apples to oranges? Tammy says that's a bit what it's like when you try to compare the stressors of every position at your company, let alone across multiple different industries. The things that stress me out as an editor of this magazine do not stress you out, and vice versa. Right. Well, one example um, is uh, addiction counselors. Um, They suffer from what's known as compassion fatigue. So by working through others who are dealing with problems and everything that comes with suffering from addiction, uh, you know, helping others, the helping professions have been known historically to uh, be vulnerable to burnout and, 
and um, as I mentioned, self-compassion fatigue. Mm. So that's a different type of stressor from, you know, from examples of working outside and being exposed to heat or office work where you're subject to muscular skeletal disorders from overuse injuries. So once you really start talking to workers and meet them where they are, so to speak, you find out that, yeah, just almost every occupation is vulnerable to, to stress, and it just manifests itself in different ways. A lot of people can keep their struggles hidden, and hidden pretty well. Um, if you are the boss uh, or a CEO um, or just generally in charge of the office, how do you make sure your employees, like how do you check up on them? How do you make sure that they're managing their stress properly, especially those who might be very good at, at hiding it? Right, right. So, you know, there are some common signs that uh, you can be on the lookout for. And one might be, for example, change in behavior. So a worker who perhaps has always been very communicative and talkative is not so talkative uh, recently. Loss of energy. Um, fatigue, signs of fatigue, even people who aren't saying they're tired, you can often see that, right? Um, loss of productivity, reduced uh, socialization with others, being late for meetings, absenteeism. Um, so there, again, there are some cues that you can be on the lookout for that might be indicators that someone is really suffering from stress. What are the long-term implications of not managing your stress properly? Uh, there are some that might seem obvious, but are there others that we don't traditionally consider? Well, in the extreme is death. Um, back in May, a report came out from the World Health Organization that attributed 745,000 deaths in 2016 to overwork. It's, it's very sobering, right? Um, so, this, you know, stress is not a trivial issue. Um, it can actually lead to death. Um, and many accidents uh, can be attributed to workers being overworked or stressed. So, you know, there are some outcomes that may not on the surface appear to be stress-related, but often are because stress can lead, for example, to a loss of focus, and that loss of focus increases the opportunities for someone to be involved in an accident. Here's the elephant in the room. One of the reasons you're probably stressing out so much is because you don't have enough workers to do the job properly. When you're trying to fit in one more yard or do one more job, what are the effects of that? Right, there, the, the labor shortage then increases the demands on the workers who are employed to, uh, to make up for that lost shortage. And um, even something as simple as, uh, you know, in the service industry, um, trying to, to wait on double the tables that you usually do, um, and then you end up in the back of the house and you drop something and there's glass all over and, and you have an injury. Um, it's not clumsiness, it's just overwork. 
When you are out speaking or delivering presentations, what seems to stick most with people regarding occupational health psychology? I mean, what resonates most with them? You know, I think it's recognizing that performance and employee well-being really go hand in hand. And in many practices that are beneficial for well-being can also be beneficial for performance. Um, so, you know, in many organizations, you have different folks that are focused on talent management and hiring and training with, uh, again, the focus on performance and a different set of people who might be leading up health and well-being initiatives. One thing that I think put some more concerns on some of those systems that you're talking about was the pandemic, right? Because you had so many people working remotely. How has remote work and, and subsequently change other changes due to the pandemic affected how people deal with stress or occupational overload? Yeah, so one of the key challenges for remote workers is managing the boundary between work and non-work. And so, you know, traditionally that differentiation of physical spaces, you know, going to the office or going to the field site and the different temporal routines, uh, you know, such as work from nine to five, serve as guideposts as to where and when different roles, such as worker and family member, are enacted. And when, you know, the home becomes your place of work, those boundaries become very blurred. Um, so individuals are creating new routines to try and um, manage that boundary. And so you may have heard of, for example, the fake commute. Um, that's where individuals are, even in some cases, getting in their car and going for a drive and then coming back home. Um, to mimic that transition between work and non-work, <laughs> right? Um, so some people say, I, I shut down the computer, I go out, take a walk, I come back, and I'm dad now. Um, so it, that, that boundary, and, and actually this is where breaks come into play again, um, because the office, again, provides the cues for, for breaks, right? You have lunch with your coworkers. You take that morning break and chit-chat with, with friends at work. And those types of cues are gone. And so people working remotely often work longer hours than people who work in the office. Um, so there, there are definitely some unique issues associated with remote work that people need to be aware of and develop strategies to address. A 20-minute podcast isn't going to summarize all you can do to manage your workload and stress levels for you and your employees, but hopefully it's a start. I think it's important to recognize that when we're talking about stress and work-life balance, that these are individual issues, but also organization issues. So it's not just up to the individual to manage his or her stress. It's also up to the organization to, for example, as we talked about earlier, be on the lookout for cues that people are overstressed, to you know provide proper equipment and, and tools to increase health and safety. Um, so it's always important to think about 
both the uh, the individual and the organization when talking about stress and and work family balance. Consider your occupational overload today and see what you can do to make things just a little lighter. For Lawn and Landscape Radio Network, I'm Jimmy Miller, and we'll catch you next time.